Right, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians 3, and we are plodding right along. Two chapters down, 13 to go. No, is my math right? 16, 14 to go. Can't do math, but that's okay. Uh, Lord's been blessing in this study. We're very thankful uh, for what we've already gleaned from these truths. And uh, I'm reminded again how, uh, how our Lord in His providence, we, you know, we, don't, we don't have to make the Scriptures relevant. They, they are relevant. And it, it amazes me how um, my, my go-to when I'm, when I'm preaching through a book like, like such is I break it down chapter by chapter, and then I break it down section by section. And so um, I prepare throughout the week for what I'm going to be expositing that Lord's Day, but I, I kind of have a good idea of the way the chapter is already broken down. Uh, but each week when I come to the text that is for this coming Lord's Day, I am often just amazed at how the text that we are coming to is just so relevant to something that's going on in my life or uh, something that's going on in in the life of of our church or uh, just what the Lord has been doing or leading in lately. And uh, I think that's especially the case here in chapter 3, the beginning of the chapter. The Bible has a way of administering spiritual butt-whoopings to the children of God from time to time. And this text is one of those texts. I'm going to read the first four verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in the very first verse. These are the words of God. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Paul is writing 1 Corinthians to a church that is plagued with contentions among the membership. The church divided itself into these petty cliques and factions. They had this one little group over here that uh, did not want to be friends with this one little group over here, and it was very much like what you might find on the playground of an elementary school. And Paul sheds light on that and confronts that head on in this text. Much of this disunity manifested itself in a misunderstanding of the role of spiritual leaders and the nature of the gospel ministry. They did not understand why God gave them preachers and teachers and pastors. The Corinthians were attaching themselves to different men, not based on the truth that they preached, but simply on the style of their delivery, or simply on their personality, or simply on their charisma, or or we might look at it today, well, the kind of music that they liked, or the way that they dressed. Well, throughout chapter 2, Paul dealt with the manner and character of his ministry. And what did he tell the Corinthians? 
In short, he told them that the charisma and charm of a preacher is worthless if his message is not objectively true. Because these Corinthians were flocking after Greek philosophers that were preaching all sorts of garbage, just worldly garbage, because they liked the way they talked. They sounded really smooth. They were like a, a motivational speaker today. Joel Osteen didn't get where he is because he's not a good speaker. man's very talented. And he also informed them that the truth of God cannot be discerned by mere human intellect. The truth of God must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God doesn't reveal it to you, you're never going to understand it. And at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul goes deeper still. Good preachers seek to get to the root of the issue, and that's what Paul is doing in chapter 3. Chapter 2 is kind of like an aside as he's dealing with contentions. He's he's going from a main heading and then he's addressing the little sub-issues. Issues cause issues. That's why when you see issues in a church, though it's sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's awkward, you better just go ahead and squash it. Right. Because issues cause issues. I haven't been in the ministry very long, but I've been in it long enough to know that. Yes. So why is it that the Corinthians are being so schismatic, so divisive, so contentious? Why is it that they don't understand the the proper role of a pastor? Their problem, as Paul will show us, is a severe lack of spiritual maturity. That's their problem. And what's so ironic about that is that the Corinthians, more than any other church, thought they had arrived. The Corinthians were so confident that they just knew it all. They were the cream of the crop. They would be the ones that would walk around and brag about, well, I'm a member of the church at Corinth. I'm so well off. And in these verses, Paul issues this sharp rebuke and he chastises them for their spiritual immaturity. He tells them that their behavior, their braggadociousness, it doesn't prove how far they've progressed in the Christian life. It proves just the opposite. They think they know everything, but they really know nothing. They think they've arrived, but they really haven't even climbed the first rung of biblical Christianity. And the ones who talk most about how spiritual they are and how godly they are are oftentimes the ones who have not gone anywhere in the faith. Because I've said this before, if, if you really are godly, if you really are Christ-like, you're not going to have to tell people about it. It'll manifest in, in the way you talk, the way you behave, the way you act. And let me say this as well. It is true that we do not all grow at the same pace. Right. That is true physically. That is true spiritually. That's, that's why we're not supposed to be comparing ourselves to one another. You know, Charles Spurgeon... I took his first pastorate at the age of 17. Well, guess what? Most preachers are no Charles Spurgeon. So that doesn't mean that that's the status quo, so to speak, right? God is pleased to bring some further along at a quicker pace than others. And there are factors that affect such, such things as our exposure to the truth, our membership in the church, our devotion to the Word of God, Just like with a physical child, the better diet you feed him, 
The better you nurture him, the better he's going to grow. Right. But though it may be faster or slower than others, mark this down. If you are a Christian, you will grow. Amen. You will grow because God has made you a living creature, and that's what living creatures do. They grow. So the problem in Corinth is not that they weren't growing fast enough. It's that they weren't growing at all. Their spiritual growth was stunted. And their spiritual immaturity was causing just a plethora of issues in the church. So as we survey this text, I want you to consider your own spiritual maturity. And I want you to ask yourself, am I growing in Christ? Or is there something in my life that is hindering me from Christian growth and spiritual maturity? First thing I want you to see in this text, simple outline, the predicament. The predicament. As Paul sets the stage, he says this in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, a couple things to note about this phrase. Number one, Paul is referencing back to when he had first labored in Corinth, when the church was established. The church in Corinth was established in 50 A.D., this letter is written approximately four or five years after that. Okay? So when he says, when I, I could not speak unto you, he's referring back to 50 AD when he was there the first time. He says, when I saw you for the very first time, when you were first converted and I first started pastoring, you remember Paul labored in Corinth for a year and a half. He didn't just establish the church and move on. He stayed longer in Corinth than anywhere else except for Ephesus. And so he's referring back to when he first came. So keep that in mind. This is not, this is not a letter that he's writing a week later, okay, or, or even a month later, or six months later. No, he's writing this letter four years later, five years later. Okay. Second thing to note, by calling them brethren, by saying, and I brethren, we know that Paul is addressing the entire church. Now, we don't, we don't know that all of them are truly saved, but we know that he's addressing the entire church. It would be like if I said, I'm writing a letter to the brethren at Almstead or the brethren at Clarksville. That means I'm writing a letter to all those professing Christians in the church, in that location. And why is that important? Because spiritual immaturity in the membership doesn't just affect the spiritually immature. It affects everyone. Right. Do not think... Well, I'm lukewarm. Well, I'm immature. Well, I, I know I should be doing more, but that's okay because it, that's just me. No. If you are a member of this body, if you are a part of the body, and you are lacking, think about your own body. If you have a body part that is not functioning properly, the rest of your body will have to compensate to make up the slack. And so Paul says, this is the problem that's affecting everyone says he couldn't speak unto them as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. What does he mean? Well, we, we talked about that word spiritual last Sunday, right? Okay, we need to break some things down and, and, and consider the definitions here. We must be very careful with the meanings of the word spiritual and carnal as they're used in this verse. Now, there's a very legitimate discussion, and, and there's kind of two sides, and uh, the application is the same, but I still think it's something worthy of our consideration. Some say that spiritual means saved and carnal means lost, and it's just that simple. 
And they argue that spiritual carries the same meaning as it did in chapter 2. Carnal, they say, is just synonymous with the natural man in chapter 2. And ordinarily, I would agree that since the word was just used in the previous section, it makes sense to retain that same definition. However, there's a, there's a wrench in this verse that keeps me from being able to do that. And the wrench is this. Paul says, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So Paul compares someone who is carnal with someone who is a babe in Christ. Not a lost person. Right. So we have to be careful with that. Carnal cannot simply mean lost or unregenerate because the way Paul speaks to a carnal person is the way he speaks to a babe in Christ and you do not address a lost person the same way as you address a new believer. Right, amen. Therefore, I think that we must be careful to understand that Paul is making a different comparison in chapter 3 than he is in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he's using spiritual and natural to compare Believers and unbelievers. In chapter 3, he's using spiritual and carnal to compare believers with other believers. Okay. To speak to someone who is spiritual, per the definition of chapter 3, is to speak to someone who has developed spiritually. To speak to someone who is carnal is to speak to someone who is not yet developed and is a babe in Christ. Now here's the the caveat, the reason why I can see how someone would think that Paul is simply talking about speaking to a saved person as opposed to a lost person is this. When someone professes to be a Christian but they never grow, if you are still carnal, if you are still a babe after those five years, if you never progress in spiritual maturity, it does raise legitimate questions as to whether or not they've been truly made a living creature in Christ. Amen. And Paul is raising those questions. Paul says, now, to my understanding, your brethren, you made the profession. You, you were baptized. You're, you're members of that church, but i got to tell you, you're acting just like babes in Christ. And, and you're not growing. And i got to be honest with you. That makes me wonder, did God truly do a work in you? Do we not see people like that in churches all the time? Amen. Sit on the pews week after week. And we think, has God really done a work in their heart the way that they say He has? I think that is the crux of what Paul's getting at. Words mean stuff. <laughs> and so we have to look at these things. A lot of false doctrine is simply based on not understanding the meaning of one or two words. And you can take a word, for instance, you can, uh, let me not get on a rabbit trail, you can misunderstand the word church, <laughs> and then you can go run off and, be a Roman Catholic because you don't understand what the word church means. Right. So we need to understand what these words mean. Verse 2, he says this. Continuing in his, in his train of thought from verse 1, he's going to give us an illustration. He uses a picture to explain what it was like ministering to carnal Corinthians who were just babes in Christ. He says this, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. And he says, I have. So it's past tense. He's talking about what he did in his first ministry in Corinth. Now let me tell you this. Paul is not saying that some doctrines are milk and other doctrines are meat. I don't think that's what he's saying. 
He's not saying that he couldn't teach them the full counsel of God or that there was truth that he had to withhold from them. The difference in milk and meat is in the mode and the depth of the teaching, not in the things taught. Okay? It's not that one set of doctrine is for the spiritual and another is for the carnal. Do you see what problems we could get into if we looked at it that way? We might look at it like, well, these are just the things we teach to the young Christians. And, And you hear that in commentaries where people say, well... Oh, you don't want to teach this doctrine to someone unless they've been converted for X amount of time. Well, here's the problem with that. Are you going to tell them, well, you can read your Bible, but when you get to Romans 9, 10, and 11, just skip that section for now. Are you going to tell them that? You can read your Bible. When you get to Ephesians 1 and 2, just skip one over to chapter 3 and then come back, circle back around in a year or so after you've grown in Christ. No, we don't, we don't do that to people. Right. All doctrines should be taught to all Christians, but they must be taught at their level of development in the faith. That's what Paul is saying. Let me give you a simple illustration. The cross. We're to preach the cross to all men. We're to teach the cross to all men. However, we must understand that what that means for some people, for a babe in Christ, it means teaching them Jesus of Nazareth lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and he died for sinners. That's that's the milk of the cross. But then once someone grasps that truth and progresses, then we need to get into questions like, well, who specifically was that death on the cross applied to? Amen. Well, what are all the implications of that death on the cross? What is all the typology in that death on the cross? What is all the symbolism pictured in the Old Testament about that death on the cross? Christ is shallow enough for babes to wade in, but he is deep enough for lifelong theologians to dive into and never get to the bottom. Amen. One, one feller said, Christ is milk for babes and meat for men. Amen. One subject, but there's a depth to it. Same doctrine, different depth. Right. And Paul is saying, essentially, well, I was there for 18 months and I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to get into the truth of the gospel. I, I wanted to demonstrate how the gospel applies to all of life. But, but you guys were failing from the starting block. You guys weren't getting past step one. And then he says this, For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Hitherto ye were not able to bear it. At the end of verse 2, the middle of verse 2. Why do you feed milk to a baby? Because if you give him a big old ribeye, he's going to choke. He can't bear it. Paul is saying, you weren't ready for it. You were still just processing the elementary aspects of the Christian faith. Now, there's nothing wrong for you to be a babe in Christ. Just like there's nothing wrong for Edsel to not be ready to eat a half slab of ribs. He's not there yet. He's a babe. And you know, it's, it's cute, it's joyous, and it's normal for a baby to act like a baby. But it is horrifying and disgusting for a man to act like a baby. That is the, in, that, that is the issue with the Corinthians. Paul is not rebuking them for being babes in Christ. That's how we all start. Paul is rebuking them for still being babes in Christ five years after 
The church was established, and they were converted, and they professed to come to the faith. Paul said, you have not grown. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, neither yet now are ye able. You weren't able then, and you're still not able. It's been five years, and Paul still must talk to them like he did when they first were converted. And again, there's the irony in it. The Corinthians thought that they were so advanced. They were the intellectuals. They were the wise. They were the sophisticated. They were the intelligent. I mean, in chapter 2, they were saying, yeah, yeah, I don't know about this Paul guy. He's kind of dull. I want some of that good old worldly wisdom. It's like when people, when people ask us about what we do and we tell them what our service is like, they just go, hmm, that's, that's all you do? You just preach the Bible? That's not a mature comment to make. It's a very immature comment to make. Paul says, you are fools. You who think you've gone so far and know so much, haven't gone anywhere and don't know anything. And now I'm sure that that this prescription, this discussion, in some way or another, fits all of us here tonight. In this room, there are babes in Christ who are just beginning to grasp many of the foundational truths of Christianity. There are babes in Christ who, all of this that goes on within these four walls is so new to you. You've been here for two or three months, and your mind and your heart and your soul is just being flooded And it's exciting, and it's new. And if that's you, don't be discouraged by the fact that you are a babe in Christ. Right. It's entirely normal considering where you are in your faith. Just stay faithful, keep growing, keep learning, and trust me, you won't be a babe for very long if you do those things. And there are others here who are church members, whether here or at another church, and who have the foundational truth under their belt, some who have been walking with the Lord for decades, and they are processing some of the deeper realities of Christianity. They're not babes. But that's what a family is. That's what the family of God is. It is Christians who are all at different stages of their spiritual growth and maturity. Just like from your natural life. You are born and you grow and you develop until you die. It's the same thing with your spiritual life. So to the babes in Christ, let me caution you. I don't want you to feel constantly just guilty and disappointed in yourself. But on the other hand, do not be content with remaining a babe in Christ. You should seek to grow. You should seek to mature. And to those who have reached some spiritual maturity, to those who have grown, do not make the mistake of thinking that you have arrived. Do not make the mistake of thinking that you are in any way, shape, or form. Get it, perish the thought that you are better Amen. than anyone else. Because the reality is, you and I don't know a third of what we think we do. You're right. We're not even a fraction of spiritual as we think we are. And as we're about to see, spirituality does not equal theological knowledge. Amen. 
nor does it equal giftedness. See, this is the spiritual butt-whooping that I was talking about in this passage. This is what knocked me to the floor. You're not spiritual just because you know things. You're not spiritual just because you have some gifts. Spirituality is not giftedness. Spirituality is maturity. And when assessing your spirituality, do not look to your intellect. Look to your character. Look to your character. There are men who could probably write a thesis paper on the five points of Calvinism. But they're proud. They're arrogant. They're unkind. They're not generous. They're not loving. They're not considerate. And then there are other men who couldn't write a thesis paper on any doctrine. (laughs) They bear witness to the fruits of the Spirit working within them. Amen. And I'm, I'm not saying that doctrinal ignorance is okay, but what I am saying is that when it comes to spiritual maturity, what God is looking at first is not how you do on a theological examination, but He's looking at the issues of your own heart. That's the predicament in Corinth. I want you to see the problem. Why is it that the Corinthians are not growing? Okay, that's the, the predicament is they're not growing. What's the problem that's causing that? Why are they still babes in Christ after five years of church membership? Well, it's not because they didn't have access to the truth. You know, we might expect, when, when we go to foreign lands, for instance, when we went to India, there were some practices in some of those churches over there that were, were rather abhorrent. <laughs> They were false, and they they need help in those areas. But they had never heard the truth. How how are they supposed to know? Well, Corinth didn't have that excuse. Why? Because Corinth had two of the best pastors that a church could ever have right back to another. They had Paul for a year and a half, and then when Paul left, who was the, the second pastor? Anybody remember? Apollos. So they had probably the, the greatest theologian ever, <laughs> And one of the greatest speakers ever, right back to back, pastoring their church. And Paul says in chapter 1 that they were lacking in nothing. 1 Corinthians, again, that's the irony of it. I think God is, is weaving this this way to just show us that we cannot be dependent on anything we've ever done. Because what, what else was true about Corinth? Corinth was the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. They had more spiritual gifts than any other church. That's why Paul had to spend several chapters explaining them how to use those gifts because they were so gifted. So what is the problem? Why are they not growing? They've got preaching, they've got teaching, they've got truth, they've got everything. Look at verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Though they had all the resources to grow, They remained in a state of carnality. As Paul's writing this, can you you feel the frustration? Have you ever dealt with someone that should just not be in the problems that they're in? (laughs) Have you ever spoken with someone who's just simply not where they should be in the faith or in life? 
part of pastoring is working with individuals who, who just aren't there and have no clue that they aren't there. And it can be frustrating because we're not called to get angry with those people. Amen. We're called to love them. But I can just, I can just feel Paul's just disappointment and frustration with Corinth. Some of the most spiritually immature people that you will meet in the ministry and in churches are those who think they are the best off. Amen. That's why when I meet someone for the first time and they just immediately start jumping into their resume, it raises questions in my mind. Yes. When they immediately they just start telling me, well, I know so-and-so and I pastored here and I preached here and I went here and I traveled here. It raises questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. I studied under so-and-so. Hmm. Now pay close attention to what Paul rebukes them for. When he says you're yet carnal, he doesn't say you're carnal because you haven't read enough theology books. He doesn't say you're carnal because you don't know who John MacArthur is. You're carnal because you've never been to such and such a conference. What's wrong with you? You mean you didn't buy the latest R.C. Sproul book? What's wrong with you? You're carnal. No, that's not what Paul says. What does Paul say? Paul says, you're yet carnal. For whereas, verse 3, there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Paul says, you're carnal, and the proof is the sinful flaws of your character. That's what your carnality is. The hindrance to spiritual growth is sin. That is what is holding you back. That is what is stunting your growth. It is not that you have not read enough. It is not that you have not gone to enough conferences. It's not even that you haven't listened to enough preaching necessarily. What are those things? Rightly used, they're tools that should help us Overcome sin. God gives us preaching. God gives us the ministry of the word. Right? To help us with those things. But those things, if not properly used, that was the problem in Corinth. They had all of these resources, but they were not properly using them. And they were caught in besetting sins. Whereas spiritual growth will kill sin, sin will kill spiritual growth. And the reason why some of you cannot mature in the faith is because you're not... It's not because you're not reading and studying enough. It is because you have pet sins in your life right. that you refuse to get rid of. Amen. Sins of immaturity. I find it interesting conversing with older saints of God they will often give the testimony not about how much they've progressed not because of how much they've overcome sin their testimony will often tell of how sinful they have found themselves to be it, it puts me to shame when I meet Christians who will be tore up over sins that don't even really bother me all that much, that I commit 
but they just don't bother me all that much. I commit them. I know they're wrong, and I don't think about them. You know, it convicts me when I've had a conversation with someone, and they come back and apologize about the way they talked about someone else. Because it makes me think, you know, I talk about people all the time, and I don't get convicted over it like that. (laughs) That's spiritual maturity. What are these three sins that Paul really focuses in on? The first, envying. Envying. A lack of contentment. A a disgusting self-centeredness. You have to be better than everyone, and everyone has to know that you're better than everyone. We often behave this way under good pretenses. We do this with, with doctrine. We do this with practice. Oh, we believe such and such, and that makes us better than you. Anybody ever heard of what we affectionately call cage stage Calvinism? When you first come to the doctrines of grace, and then it's just like you are gung-ho for that truth, you see it everywhere, and you are just ready to go burn down the Arminian churches. Let me tell you something. That's not maturity. And it's not something that we should be happy about being in. We should desire to mature up past that. When we have have convictions, but yet anytime we see someone who is doing something differently, we scowl and we get angry. I'm talking about stuff I do (laughs) regularly, by the way. What is that? It's envying. Immaturity. Strife. You always have to be in the preeminence. You have to be in the limelight. Strife. You are are at odds. You are standoffish with anyone who might take your place in the spotlight. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine and he was... We were talking about how oftentimes especially amongst pastors when they meet for the first time, or let's say another pastor comes to your church where you are the pastor, oftentimes there's a tension there. Or let's say you're the new pastor in a fellowship of churches and they all know each other. You're the new guy. There's a tension there. I've even met met pastors that, that don't like to have other men preach in their pulpit simply because they're jealous of them. And they, they don't like the fact that their congregation likes another preacher. These people that, that are full of strife, they, they set themselves up as the standard. If you're not like me, then you're wrong because God likes me more than He likes you. You have to be like me. That's strife. Pride, arrogance, jealousy. Those are sins that hinder our spiritual growth. What does the Bible say? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was the most humble man that ever lived. Amen. What is more humble 
than God himself allowing sinful sacks of dirt. That's what we are, by the way. He allowed mere sinners to take him, to beat him, to mock him, to spit upon him, to pull his beard out, to place a crown of thorns on him, to rip his clothes off and hang him naked on a cross and kill him. Here's a challenge for you. Go home. Take the four Gospels. Read the crucifixion account. Read the Passion Week. And look for an instance in which Jesus returned kind for kind. Look for an instance in which they were mocking him, berating him, and he replied with anger, with envy, with strife, with contention. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, well, they're doing it, so I can too. Divisions. Last one, divisions. This is a product of the first two. If you're envious and jealous of everyone, you're going to be divisive. Unless you learn that you are nothing apart from the grace of God, you will never actually be anything in the grace of God. God's grace is not meant for people who have it all put together. God's grace is for those who know something of their helpless and hopeless condition. Understanding that about yourself is true spiritual maturity. I think it was Augustus Toplady who wrote the hymn Rock of Ages, who on his deathbed, he was asked the question, could you tell me, Mr. Toplady, could you tell me some observations that you've made having been a Christian for the last 50 years. And he said something to the effect of, well, for the first 10, 20 years, I thought I was becoming more and more holy, and I thought I was really progressing in the faith. But he said, these last 10 or 20 years, I've just come to realize that I've never had a single pure thought in my entire life. Right. That's spiritual maturity. Paul says, Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Based on these sins, Paul concludes that this church is in a slew of carnality. To walk as a man. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? To walk as a man is to follow the lusts of an unregenerate heart without the influence of the Holy Spirit. You must understand that man in and of himself is entirely void of holiness. Right. Amen. If you ever desire anything good, rest assured that it was the Holy Spirit that put that desire within you. You're right. Amen. Ask this convicting question about yourself. Have you ever done something without taking the Holy Spirit into account at all? (laughs) Would help us. God sent His Son to die for us. And then He sent His Spirit to indwell us. The Holy Spirit is desiring to lead you into the ways of holiness and righteousness, but yet, no, no, we we still decide, no, we're going to make some decisions on our own. Right. So Paul says, I know you're just babes in Christ. I, I, I saw your profession. I saw what the Lord did there in 50 A.D., 
But sometimes you just act like a bunch of unregenerate lost heathens. And that's the frustration that Paul is dealing with. That is the problem in the Corinthian church. They are yet carnal. And then the last thing we're going to look at, I want you to see the proof. Paul will conclude with an illustration of their sinful carnality. Verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. The Corinthians thought that attaching themselves to spiritual leaders made them spiritual. And let me say this, this verse is not against spiritual leadership. It is true that you should have spiritual leaders. If you are a babe in Christ, find a a mature, godly Christian and emulate them and follow them as they follow Christ. This verse is not anti or against spiritual leaders. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul explicitly says, follow me as I follow Christ. But instead of following the character, instead of following the Christ-likeness of these spiritual leaders, the Corinthians use them as reasons to boast and as sources of pride. Their problem is not that they were following men. See, Paul and Apollos would have been two wonderful examples of Christian men to follow. Young men, you need to follow Christian men. Young ladies, you need to follow Christian women. The problem is not that they were following them. The problem is that they weren't following them in their character. They were just claiming them in word only because they liked their style or they liked their charisma. Uh, when, when you do that, when you claim to be approved in the Christian life, and you claim to be advanced in the Christian life, imagine in the 21st century, you know, I am of R.C. Sproul, or I am of John Piper. Well, when you, when you say things like that, and you claim that, but you don't actually follow the character of godly men, you're just a little boy playing dress up. Sometimes I get sick of this popular brand of Christianity that says, well, so long as I use the cool lingo and I go to the cool conferences and I've read some of the books and I know some of the quotes, then it doesn't matter how I actually live or what the state of my heart is. And if a spiritual leader only puffs you up in pride, if you begin to think that you are better but it does not drive you to Christ. And it is pointless to follow that person. If doctrinal truths such as the sovereign grace of God only cause you to be proud and think you're better than others, then you don't really believe it. At least not the meat of it. You might have the milk, but you have not gotten to the meat. At some point, your train just went off the tracks. That's what Paul is saying to them. And Paul will spend the rest of this chapter addressing the importance of spiritual leaders. But the the point is, when it comes to true spiritual maturity, personalities are meaningless. Charisma is worthless. Style is nothing. Popularity is vanity. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for what the Lord's given us here. I'm thankful for the facility. Leaks and all. (laughs) 
I'm thankful for the sign. I'm thankful for being a particular Baptist. But if all I do is go around bragging about how I'm a particular Baptist, but it doesn't actually drive me to Christ, it doesn't make me more Christ-like, it doesn't make me more obedient, if all I do is sit around and polish my five points, it's vanity. It's immaturity. You know, you read, you read some of those men. You read the John Gills and you read the Charles Spurgeons. They didn't run around bragging about their denominational affiliation all the time. They didn't run around bragging about their confession or bragging about their big conferences. They ran around boasting in Christ. Amen. Christ is everything. Be like Him and you'll grow in the faith. Be like a spiritual leader. You'll only grow in the faith so much as He is being like Christ. As we conclude, ask yourself this question that Paul asks at the end of verse 4. Don't you, don't you hate it? Remember, think back to when you were kids. It was a lot easier for your mom or your dad to just holler at you and tell you what you were doing wrong. But you know what really stung? When you really, you really sensed that you had disappointed yes. dad. That was the thing. Disappointed mom. Yeah, totally. And he looked at you and just said, how could you do this? Yes. And he walked away and left you in your room. <laughs> what Paul did in verse 4. He says, Are you not carnal? Are you not carnal? As you elevate your own standing before God, as you evaluate your own standing before God, you don't do so by taking a theology exam, but by examining your character. You want to know how mature you are spiritually? Ask yourself, am I a proud person? Am I a contentious person? Do I think that I'm so much more advanced than everyone else? Am I lascivious and sensual? Is my mind always just on one thing? I'll leave it at that. Is my heart consumed with lust? How are the relationships in my life How would my family and friends speak of me? I understand you're going to face reproach for Christ. I understand there's going to be tons of people that want nothing to do with you because you faithfully follow Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. How are the relationships in your life with your loved ones? How are the relationships in your life with other Christians? Are you living as a citizen of Christ's kingdom? What did he say at the end of chapter 2? We have the mind of Christ! Do you have the mind of Christ? Are you living as one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? If if a video camera were to follow you around for 24 hours, not, not giving your testimony, not bragging about your, but just follow you around for 24 hours. If you were a Corinthian and Paul was watching 24 hours of your life, would he say to you, are ye not carnal? 
If you, were, if you were to present that video to the Apostle Paul, and you were to say, Paul, here's a video of one of our faithful church members, would Paul say, yeah, I can see that that individual really does love Jesus and is a blessing to your body? Or would he say, this is a church member? This is a Christian? Is he not carnal? Is she not carnal? Some of us need to hear these things. All of us need to hear these things. Amen. Some of us need to be encouraged to keep growing, to keep pursuing spiritual maturity. Others here need to repent of the sins that are hindering your spiritual growth. Whatever God is convicting you of, do it. But whatever you do, don't remain where you are. Continue to pursue Christ. Continue to conform to Christ. Continue to glorify Christ. And continue to grow spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness to us. We thank you for the portions of the Word of God that are at times convicting and hard for us to read. Help us, Lord, when we fall short. Help us to see what pleases you and give us the spiritual desire to do those things. We love the Lord Jesus because he first loved us. Lord, those that are here that are babes in Christ, that understandably should be babes in Christ, pray that you would give us the discernment to help them, to encourage them, and that, Lord, as they are faithful to the word of God, pray that you would grow them spiritually, mature them. But to those here that are lost, that have never grown, that have never been made a living creature, would you, by the power of the Spirit, convict their hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ, quicken them, make them alive, give them the ability to grow. Oh, Father, we ask these things because you are gracious because you are good, because you desire to see us progressing in Christ. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.